0: To the praise of His glorious grace, which He has freely given us in the one He loves. In Him, meaning Jesus, we have redemption. Through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And He made known to us the mystery of His will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put in effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. And Father, we just celebrate that this morning. Father, we celebrate the fact that you loved us so much, that, Father, at the beginning of time before we were even created, the foundation of the world. Father, you knew that we would fail you in God today. Even then, Father, you knew the plan to send Jesus in our place. And Father, we surrender. We know that God, you enthrone the praises of your people. Father, you sit upon them, Father. And I pray this morning as we worship you, as we surrender our hearts and our lives, that God, You will find us faithful, that You would find us obedient, that our motives would be true, that You are the center of this place. You are the center of our life as we sing and as we worship. We praise Your name.
1: Jesus, You are a great King, and we exalt You in this place this morning. You are high. You are lifted up. You are sovereign. You are God. You are our rock. You are our refuge. You are our fortress. You are our place of safety. And we celebrate who you are in our lives today. The beautiful, wonderful, precious name, Jesus Christ, we exalt you. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, good morning and welcome. Thank you, worship team, for that awesome, awesome, powerful time of worship. And Warren, for a great time of communion. And uh, great to see you this morning. Welcome to North Point Community Church. Great to have you worshiping with us this morning. I have a disclaimer right out of the gate as the welcome books go by. I, I've got to get this out because I forgot to mention it in the 9 o'clock service. This is yellow and sky blue. This is not maize and blue. Okay, I, I've got to make that clear out of the gate. I was horrified when Chad suggested that that was maize and blue. I was, I was horrified. and I, <clears throat> I didn't have an appropriate undershirt, otherwise I wouldn't have worn this shirt. But I, I didn't have another option. So, uh, "Vengeance is mine," say it's Sparty. Isn't that bi- isn't that biblical? That's that's biblical. So we're we're praying, for you you Michigan fans, we're praying that Michigan will play really really well today. That's that's what we're praying that you'll play well, and uh, and lose with with honor and dignity. We, we had to do it twice, so we're, we're looking for you to do it, okay? It's going to be a, going to be a great day. Well, hey, we're glad that you're here. Welcome books are going by. If you're visiting, let us know you're here. We're thrilled that you drove by. Probably a whole bunch of other churches to be here this morning. We don't take that lightly. And, and just are honored that you're here. Let us know that you're here. We want to send you a personalized note. We're not going to send people to your house. We're not going to email, blitz you, and call your phone and pester you. We just We're glad that you're here. Thank you so much. Martin Luther said this. He said that, man... Requires three conversions: a conversion of the head, a conversion of the heart, and a conversion of the wallet. And uh, I, I tend to agree with him. It's interesting. There are many examples in Scripture where people, when they encountered the life-transforming power of God, they not only opened up their lives to God's presence and power and purposes, but they opened up their treasuries. They opened up their wallets and. I was thinking about the Magi. This isn't a Christmas season, but it's still a great example. The Magi, when they came to Jesus, they brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They brought valuable things. And I love the language of the Scripture. It says they opened up their treasuries to Jesus. And we find that's true of of genuine Christ followers. They not only open up their hearts, they not only open up their lives, they not only open up their minds, but they open up their treasuries to the King And they honor Him. Because money, you will either worship it or you will worship with it. One or the other. You can't serve God in money. So thank you for honoring God with your giving this morning. Thank you for uh, worshiping the great King. Well, we had an amazing time last week with Tim and Courtney Shantier. We are in the midst of a series on heaven. Uh, From Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, the words of Jesus taught us to pray that the kingdom and will of God that is in heaven would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we've been looking at, at heaven's influence on earth, heaven's influence on our heart, our head, our hand last week. Tim and Courtney talked about our hand and our home. And this week we're going to talk about heaven's influence on our hip, on our wallet. Uh, rest assured there's no second offering, so d- just, just, just relax this morning. We're going to talk about kingdom influence on our treasure, our time, our talents, and, uh, and our treasury. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes. We're going to continue this series over the next few weeks. We're going to be talking about heaven specifically. And bringing some clarity to that place. And to that whole adventure that lies ahead for the true Christ follower. We're going to talk about myths and mysteries. We're going to expose a lot of false thinking and fuzzy thinking about heaven We're going to talk about mirrors, and then Tim Shantier is going to continue to tag team with me. He's going to talk about the subject of maps, the map to heaven, how to be sure that you know that you're going. And So that will conclude our eight-week series. Then we're going to kick off a brand new series on Easter entitled, Why? And we're going to give solid answers to life's toughest questions. There's a little opportunity for you to participate in your worship folder. Give us your toughest why question. And we're going to try to roll those into that series. We're going to kick off with Easter Sunday talking about why. Why does any of the blood, the guts, the gore, the empty, why does it matter? And then we're going to talk about why do... Bad things happen to good people. Why would a loving God send people to hell? And, and and topics like that. So give us your toughest, deepest, why question, and we'll try to incorporate that incorporate that into that series. So that's some things that you can look forward to. Well, let's let's dive right in. Uh, last week, Tim and Courtney talking about heaven in our home, heaven in our hand, and very very powerful. And Tim used the illustration of this rope, and I, I wanted to keep this up here because he uh, said that. That this rope represents eternity, and this this little uh, the part that has white tape on it that represents our life, and of course this is a finite chunk of rope. There is an end to it, and it's somewhat tangled. In eternity, things aren't going to be tangled. They're going to be untangled. But uh, but you you get the idea of the illustration that uh, here I'll tuck this down in behind so it, it will feign infinity there. Okay, and uh, so you get the idea and 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 how that. We only have a very short time in comparison to eternity. And it's really what we do in this very very short time that will count for eternity. The Bible says our life is but a breath, it's a vapor. Some of us get a short breath, some of us get a long breath. Some of us can hold our breath for 15 minutes, some of us can hold our breath for 2 minutes or 3 minutes or even 4 4 minutes is like world record amazing. But 4 minutes is still just 4 minutes. It's not very long. So life is a breath. And it, it really matters what we do with those short breaths that we have. And that's that's what we're going to talk about today. Something very powerful that Courtney said last week. Actually Tim and Courtney. But Courtney talked about she was very transparent about she was weeping, she was crying, her, her life was being threatened. Tim's life was being threatened. The life of their children was being threatened. And she had reached her breaking point. And she was curled up in a fetal position and she was crying and she was mad at God on the mission field saying, God, what are You doing to me? And why am I here? And these people aren't worth it. And then she said something incredibly powerful. That Jesus spoke to her and said, you know what, you're absolutely right. They're not worth it, but I am. I'm not only worth it, I'm worthy of your sacrifice. What a great springboard for talking about today the topic of payday. Heaven in our hip. A couple of things by way of review. I love the quote by uh, C.S. Lewis. He said, If you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Payday is a great day. Would you agree? How many of you like payday? How many of you like getting paid? How many of you just aren't honest this morning? Come on, everybody, everybody likes getting paid. Payday's a great day. I remember years ago, uh, not that many years ago, my son Ian, uh, thing number two in the Elif household, he, uh, he got his first job, not his first real job. He had done other things for income, but it was his first job where he actually showed up. It was a custodial position. He was hired part-time 20 or 25 hours a week. His very first week, he not only got to work full-time, he got to work overtime. And so his first two-week pay period, he was doing all the math. Dad, what do you think? I've got this many hours in and this, is this much per hour. How much in taxes do you think they'll take out? And He was trying to calculate what his check would be. He was was anticipating payday. And he was so excited when he got that envelope and he opened it up and he got his first paycheck only to find that they had not paid him correctly. They had paid him his 20 or 25 hours a week. They didn't have any of his 40 hours, much less any of his overtime and his time and a half he's looking at the check with wide eyes and horror. And, and he, Dad, what, what happened? This isn't, this isn't right. And, you know, maybe that has never happened to you, but all of us have been there when we were expecting payday, we were expecting payoff, we were expecting the bonus, or we were expecting the promotion, or we were expecting increase in some form, and it didn't quite work out that way. Nobody likes that feeling. Sue later was sharing with my wife Carrie and I in between services. Her first job was at a bank making $2 an hour. Her first Christmas bonus was $100. She was blown away. She was on cloud nine until she got her next paycheck, which had a deduction of $100. True story. That happened to her as a teenager... And she's somewhere around 29 now, so that was a long time ago. She still remembers it. Why? Because payday matters. And we're going to talk about payday this morning. And we're going to bring into clear focus the reality of payday. Because payday is designed by God to be a very good day. And you and I need to understand this principle very clearly. Because the clearer it is to us, the greater motivation that you and I will live with and live for. Now let's review a couple of scriptures. We've been using Paul's words in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and chapter 5 as a springboard and a context to talk about heaven in our heart, heaven in our head, and heaven in our hand. And we're going to continue with that and look at some other verses about heaven in our hip and talking about payday today. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 beginning in verse 7, We walk by faith and not by sight. We are of good courage. We prefer rather to be absent from the body and be, be at home with the Lord. We have as our ambition, therefore, to please Him, Paul says. And then he says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed, literally rewarded, for his deeds in the body according to what he's done, whether good or bad. Now let me pause to say this. Paul is writing to believers. He's writing to the Christians, to the Christ followers, the church at Corinth. He's writing to believers. And he's saying, believers, there's coming a time when you're going to stand before God and you're going to give an account of your life, and he calls it a day of recompense or a day of reward. And you're going to be rewarded. For deeds done in the body, whether good or bad. We're going to look at some other openings here. But I'm going to talk about the five aspects today of payday. First of all, that there's two paydays. Secondly, that there's two perspectives. There's two criteria for payday. There's two currencies. And there's two pay scales. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes that we have. And then we'll wrap up. Paul writes this. Or rather, John writes this. Now, first of all, there's two paydays. And it's important that we realize this. The Bible is unique because it's a book unlike any other book that gives us perspective on eternity. It it doesn't speculate, it tells us with amazing clarity what happens when we step across the threshold of physical death. It speaks with great clarity about heaven, great clarity about eternity, great clarity about two different destinations. The Apostle John writes in the book of Revelation, the 20th chapter, About a payday. It's a payday for the unbeliever. John writes this, excuse me, Revelation 20, verse 11. He says, I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Let me read a companion verse to this verse. It's out of the Gospel of John, writing specifically about Jesus, two verses after one of the most famous verses in all the Bible, John 3.16, which all of us know says, God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whosoever might believe in Him wouldn't have to perish But could have everlasting life. Two verses later is verse 18, and it says this Whoever believes in him, in Christ, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. There are two clear, distinct paydays in eternity. The first payday is for the unbeliever. The person that has rejected God's solution for sin in the person of his son Jesus Christ. The Bible makes it clear that we don't we are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. We have a sinful nature. We need to be born again. We need to accept by faith, what God has done for us in His Son, Jesus Christ. That's why we celebrated communion together. Because we recognize we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We don't deserve heaven. In fact, we are banned from heaven. We are under condemnation until we receive the gift of eternal life, forgiveness of sin through our Lord, Jesus Christ. Those that reject that, reject God's solution. And the Bible is clear that they are judged. And if they did not accept God's free gift, then they will be separated from God's presence forever. They will go to the garbage dump of the universe that was never intended originally for man. And that will be a horrible day. That will be a very bad payday. The good news is nobody has to go there. The will of God is that not one person go there. That's the good news. That's why the Gospel is called the good news. But that is one payday that none of us has to face and none of us has to suffer because of the beautiful gift that we have in Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad? Okay, so there's a payday for the unbeliever and there's a payday for the believer. This is so important that we get this and that it's clear. There is a very distinct payday for the believer. Paul writes about this, not only in 2 Corinthians 5, the verses that I just mentioned, about standing before the judgment seat of Christ, and being recompensed, being rewarded for everything that we've done in the body, whether good or bad. Paul writes about it in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 10-15. through I want to read those verses, because it gives us insight. And I want you to understand this as we read. He's writing about believers. He's not writing about unbelievers. He's writing to believers. He's writing about standing before God and being rewarded, or not, based on what we do in this life. Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 10, the one who plants and the one who waters will be rewarded, there's that word, for their own hard work. Paul says, I've laid the foundation like an expert builder. Whoever's building on the foundation must be very careful, because nobody can lay any foundation other than the one we've already laid, which is Jesus Christ. So do you agree he's writing to believers? There's a foundation of Jesus Christ. The believer has that foundation. Paul says, be careful how you build on that, uh, on that foundation. He says, anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials. Gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, the fire will reveal the quality of each man's work. Now this is not the fire of torment in the place of, of Gehenna and suffering and hell. That's not the fire that he's talking about. There's a fire on the altar of heaven. And everything that you do in your life is going to be tested by fire. The quality of what you do is going to be tested. That's what Paul's talking about. He says, so fire will reveal the quality, say that word, quality. The quality of each man's work. If the work survives, the builder will receive what? A reward. If, The work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. Paul clarifies, the builder will be what? The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. So Paul tells us ahead of time, there's a test coming. It's not going to be a pop quiz. He's saying there will be a test. What you do, follower of Christ, will be evaluated. The quality of what you do is going to be tested. And hopefully, what you do is quality. It'll come through the fire, and you will be what? You'll be rewarded. If what you do burns up, there won't be a reward. You will suffer loss. Much like my son Ian suffered temporary loss because he was expecting more, but he got less. Are you listening? There's some of us... Thank God... The the greatest gift we'll receive is eternal life. We'll get to spend eternity in the presence of God. That's amazing. But that is not all. Paul is very clear that there are other rewards that you and I can receive if we operate with wisdom in this life. If we spend our brief time wisely, there are eternal repercussions that are positive for us. And so it's important that we realize... And we're going to talk a little bit more about this as we talk about the quality and the criteria for reward. We'll get to that in just a few minutes. But the point here is that there's two paydays. There's a payday for the unbeliever, the one that rejects Christ, the one that is condemned that does not believe. There's another payday, a payday of reward for the believer, for the Christ follower. And I am looking forward to that day. I really am. Now, let's talk about, let me make this clear before we talk about two perspectives. We are not saved by good works. Nobody misunderstand me. In fact, if you're trying to... I was taught in my denominational upbringing, I was taught effectively to earn my salvation. I had to do good things. I had to do certain prayers. I had to go to certain religious observances, in order to get to heaven. In other words, I had to do certain things to get to heaven. Nowhere will you find that in the Bible. I am not saved by good works. I'm saved for good works. Now having said that, I'm not saved from good works. My life is supposed to be full of good work, and I was saved for good work that God predestined and ordained beforehand that I should even walk in them. So we clear on that? Nobody's going to get there by being good enough. You are in for the shock of your life if you're trying to be good enough to get to heaven. I'm telling you right now, as good as you are, you're not good enough. So, I want to make that crystal clear. Two perspectives. all right? two, two paydays, now two perspectives. One perspective is this. And, and I heard this for many years as, as a younger man. And, and it was a, a theology or a philosophy that went much like this. We should not do anything for reward as a, as, a, as a Christ follower, as a believer. We should do nothing for the sake of reward. We, in fact, it's interesting, Chris Carter, Student Life, I think it was just last week, they're mirroring this series on heaven. And they were talking about some of these things. And the statement was made, should we do things for reward's sake? question was posed, One of the young men, I don't know who it was, one of the young men raised his hand and said, wait a minute, we shouldn't do anything for reward's sake. We're supposed to do everything that we do solely for the glory of God. Any other motivation is a wrong motivation. Is that true? Is that right? Is is that to be the north star of my life? Now, everything that I do, I know is going to be tested by fire, and it's going to test what? The quality of my work. So is that the acid test of whether what I do will make it through the flame or not? Well, I think it's important we draw all of our conclusions from Scripture. Would you agree? So let's look at the Word of God. See, some say we shouldn't do anything for reward's sake. There's another philosophy or school of thought or position or theology, whatever you want to call it, that says we should do everything for reward's sake. It's absolutely biblical, and it's wholesome, and it's healthy to be motivated by reward, both tangible and spiritual. Well, those are two pretty diverse camps right there, okay? So let's look at Scripture, and I want to go to one of, my, uh, one of my favorite verses, one of the verses that just puts it out there as crystal clear as I know how to get it. It's in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 6. Two perspectives. Do we do things for reward or don't we? Here's what the writer of Hebrews says. That without faith, it is improbable, not likely. No, the word is what? Impossible to please God. What did Paul say his motivation was? I do everything to please God. So I do everything in my life motivated by faith. The writer of Hebrews says it's impossible to please God without faith. And then he goes on to say, anyone who comes to Him, comes to God, must believe two things. You have to believe, number one, that He's God. Now that makes sense, doesn't it? (laughs) You have to believe He's the one and only true God. He's the Most High. He's the King. There is no other. You have to believe that He's God. And number two, what do you have to believe if you're going to please God that he's a rewarder. You have to believe that about God if you're going to please him. It doesn't say might, doesn't suggest, it says you have to believe that about God. I shared an illustration a couple of weeks ago about my kids and how I was grumbling in the basement, and the kids were playing and the toys were a mess. And they, I came home from work the next day and my kids had me close my eyes and drag me down excitedly into the basement. Some of you remember that story. They were shaking with excitement. My eyes closed. They finally said, Dad, open your eyes. And I opened my eyes and the whole basement was organized and all the toys were put away. And my kids were beaming from ear to ear. And they said, Dad, we knew that all the clutter bugged you and we did this just to bless you. And I shared with you how my Grinch heart grew three sizes right then and there. I... I, I I remember It was almost 20 years ago. I remember it vividly because it blessed me so much that my kids did that for me. And what do you suppose my knee-jerk reaction was? Did I grab them all by the scruff of the neck and pull them up into the garage to get busy organizing the garage? Now, in hindsight, I probably should have done that because they did a great job on the basement. But that was not my knee-jerk reaction. I didn't send them immediately to their room to organize their room. I didn't do that. My immediate reaction was, I want to bless my kids. I have got to do something to bless my children. They have done something that has absolutely blessed my socks off. And I literally, God is my witness, this was my thinking process, and parents and grandparents, you can relate to this. I was thinking, I want to do something. My kids have done something extraordinary to me. I want to do something extraordinary to them. I want to bless them big. I'm good. I should give them each a $50 bill. Now that would be a big blessing. And then I did the math. Four kids, $50, $200. And I thought, my kids love McDonald's McFlurries. And I'm going to get them an extra large with extra topping. So they probably didn't know until today they got totally juked. But what's the point? The point is simple. If I, being evil, know how to give good gifts, how much more, the Bible says, does our Heavenly Father want to give things to us? We're talking about a reward theology. Don't do anything for reward's sake. And yet the Bible says clearly, The first thing I need to believe about God is that He is. And the second thing I need to believe is He's a rewarder. Why? Because He's good. God is not stingy. God is not cheap. God is not holding out on you. God is not angry and, and manipulative. And, and you know, throws a few crumbs your way when he when he's in a good mood, and he cuts you off in the next moment because he's in a bad mood. If that's your theology of God, I've got to tell you, you are serving a God different than the God of the Bible, and re- as revealed in His Son Jesus Christ. Because God the Father is so insanely and passionately and completely and radically in love with you that He sent His one and only Son. That He might be your substitute. That you wouldn't have to pay. That is the heart and the nature and the character of God. Is anybody listening here today? So that is a healthy biblical theology. And you say, John, don't build it on one verse. I've got a whole bunch of verses. I just don't have all the time in the world, but let me share with you some of them. Jesus said Matthew Matthew 6.33, Seek first the kingdom. And then all these other things, what is he talking about in context? He's talking about food and clothing and shelter. All these other things are going to be what added to you. He said, seek first the kingdom. The Bible tells us, bring the whole tithe into God's storehouse so there may be, may be, excuse me, may be meat in my house and test me and prove me and see if I won't open up the windows of heaven and do what? Pour out a blessing. God's a rewarder. Jesus said, give and it shall be what? Given. Reward system. Parable of the talents. You y'all you know the parable of the talents. One guy gets five, one guy gets two, and the poor chump, one guy gets one. Gets he gets juked. The guy with five produces ten. The guy with two produces four. The guy with one buries it. The master's ticked. God's a capitalist. He takes the one and he gives it to the guy with ten. And man, does that grind the socialists and the communists and the and the and all right, let, let's let's stay focused, Pastor John. <laughs> it's reward. What did you, What were the words of the master? Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with a little. I'm going to give you. I'm going to make you ruler over a little. What is that? That's reward. Is anybody listening? That's the heart of God. That's the nature of God. That's the way the kingdom works. And the sooner we understand it, the better off we're going to be. All right, other scriptures. Matthew chapter six: Give, pray and fast. Do it secretly so your heavenly Father can reward you openly. Jesus said, "Give and, and don't, don't store up treasure on earth, but in context of physical, tangible giving, store up treasure in heaven. There's going to be tangible reward in the next life. Reward theology. Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, Jesus said, if, if you're reviled, if you're persecuted, if they say evil, all kinds of false, uh, false things against you, rejoice and be exceedingly glad, because your what? Reward in heaven is great. There is a reward. Hebrews eleven twenty six. 26, we looked at Moses uh, two weeks ago. We saw that he, he chose suffering with the people of God And he counted it more valuable than all the treasures of Egypt because he was looking to the reward. Reward motivation. David in the Old Testament. Remember uh, 1 Samuel 17. You remember Goliath. Did David slay Goliath purely out of a motivation to glorify God? Now, that should be our primary motivation. But was that his only motivation? Read the story of David. He heard what the reward was going to be for whoever took out the giant. And we know this because 1 Samuel 17 tells us twice, David goes and says, hey, what was that I heard? What's going to happen to the guy that slays the giant? Well, he gets to marry the king's daughter, and he gets to live tax-free, and he gets all these other benefits. Whoa. He's listening to the giant, and he walks over to another group of guys, and he goes, hey, hey what, what's going to happen to the guy that takes this big blabbermouth out? Well, going to get to marry the king. Here's the same thing. Get to marry the king, get to live tax-free, some other benefits. Then David steps up and says, Who are you to defy the living God? Who are you? And he steps up boldly. Was he motivated by the glory of God? Yes. Was he motivated by tangible reward? Yes. It's both and. It's not either or. It's not mutually exclusive. It's not carnal. It's biblical. It's God-like. It's kingdom-oriented. Seeds produce harvest. You and I need to understand this and believe this. Why? Because God wants us motivated. Now, He wants us motivated with the right reasons to do the right things, and we're going to clarify that. But He definitely wants us motivated. Even Jesus Himself, Hebrews chapter 13, tells us that we should fix our eyes on Jesus. He's the author and the finisher. He's our model. He's our example. And what does it tell us about Him? That for the joy set before Him, He endured the cross. He despised the shame. What was the joy? What was the reward that was set before Jesus Christ? What was he thinking about in the garden, the Garden of Gethsemane, when he was sweating great blocks, uh, drops of blood, when it was so intense, when he was so pressured to do his own thing and sin, embrace his own will instead of the will of the Father? What joy was he thinking about? I'm looking at him. I'm looking at her. It's you and it's me. We were the joy set before Him. You and I were the reward He was thinking about. And that's what motivated Him to go to the cross and do what He did. God is a rewarder and you better believe that about God or you offend Him. Somebody spoke to your neighbor and say, that's pretty good preaching. Alright, two paydays. Two perspectives, two criteria. Let's talk about it quickly. Two criteria. What... What are the criteria for the payday? I'll tell you what they are because Scripture tells us what they are. They're the type of work and they're the quality of work. That's what will be rewarded. The type of work and the quality of work. Now, what what type of work are we to be involved in? The Bible says we're to be involved in good work and good works. And the Bible makes clear what those things are. It talks about giving to the poor. Giving alms. Sharing our food. Jesus, in the parable Matthew chapter 25, He used specific good works. I was naked and you what? You clothed me. I was hungry and you... I, I was in prison and you... I was sick and you came in... Right? Those are good works. Those are things that Jesus was involved in. Right? We, we don't have to search vehemently, the Scriptures, to know what some good works are. The Bible says we're to prefer others as more important than ourselves. The Bible says we're supposed to serve others. We're supposed to be involved in good works. Paul describes them as gold and silver and precious jewels. So the, the, the type of work, we're to be involved in good work. We're to be involved in quality work. The Bible says the fire is going to test the quality of our work. What determines quality? This is important. Motives determine quality. If your motive is wrong, your reward is going to be skewed. Remember Jesus? Matthew chapter 6. He said, give alms secretly. Pray secretly. Fast secretly. Because if you do it for the wrong motivation, what's going to happen? You spoil your reward, right? If you do it to be seen of men, that's all the reward you're going to get. But if you do it in secret, out of a motivation to love and serve and honor Christ, you're going to be rewarded. So we can do the right thing with the wrong motivation with no reward. 1 Corinthians 13 says the same thing. Beautiful chapter about love. You're familiar with the verses. Paul starts out. He says, hey, if I speak with the tongue of men and angels, if I uh, give my body to be burned, if I give everything away, If I have all knowledge, if I have faith, it moves mountains. But if I don't have love, it it profits me nothing. What's he saying? He's saying you can do the right things for the wrong reason with no reward. So what is a proper motive behind doing the right things? Well, the student in student life had it right. The number one motivation is the glory of God. That's why I loved what Courtney Chantier said last week in her transparent moment, suffering for Christ. Literally her life at risk. The life, the, the life of her precious son held in her arms, being threatened. Their lives being threatened as missionaries. And she said, she said, Jesus, these people aren't worth it. And he said, I know it, but I am. And I'm worthy of your sacrifice. Wow. See, that's a proper motivation. Doing everything that we do out of a desire to glorify God. Out of a motive to walk in the same humility and attitude of servant-heartedness that Jesus Christ so amazingly modeled His entire life. The King of the universe humbling Himself and becoming a baby. Humbling Himself and serving he said, I didn't come to be served, I came to serve and give my life a ransom for many. He's washing the disciples' feet on the, 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 the night of the Last Supper. He's modeling a servant's heart. That is a proper motivation to do everything that you do. A motivation to honor God by, by uh, emulating Jesus Christ in an attitude of service and humility. So that's a proper motivation. And of course, the love of God. Paul says the love of God compels us. It motivates us. So the glory of Christ, the humility of Christ, and the love of Christ are proper motives for doing the things that we do. Knowing that when we do the right thing for the right reason, there is great reward. And that is absolutely biblical. It's scriptural. Now here's where oftentimes our thinking gets really fuzzy. You say, I I know John, you're talking about reward and all that, and I know there's going to be some spiritual reward in heaven. Listen, there's going to be spiritual reward. But make no mistake, there's going to be tangible reward. Jesus said, don't store up treasure. He was talking about money. Don't store up treasure on earth. Store up what? Treasure in heaven. There's going to be treasure in heaven. See, realize this. The American dream is actually a biblical concept misapplied. What do I mean? The American dream is make enough money that you can retire and relax and enjoy yourself and do whatever you want. That's the American dream. That's, that's a biblical model. Our timing is just off. We're supposed Instead of an IRA, an individual retirement account, we're supposed to have an IRA, an immortal retirement account, and we're supposed to use our lives to work hard for the King and for the sake of the Kingdom, because this is all the time we have, and eternity matters, and we'll be rewarded in our retirement. Are you listening? That's a biblical model. So as Americans, we've got the concept right, we just misapplied it. We misapplied it to this kingdom instead of the following kingdom, and we misapplied it to what I referred to a couple weeks ago, confederate currency instead of real valuables. What am I talking about? Confederate currency. At the end of the Civil War, confederate currency was worthless. Listen, everything that we have, our time, our talents, and our treasure are all limited to that usefulness right there. Because when the war ends, at the end of your life, when the war ends, the currency is no good. So doesn't it make a lot of sense to use Confederate currency that's no good at the end of the war? Doesn't it make sense to use it in order to leverage for the next government, for the next kingdom, the next currency system? That makes a lot of sense from an eternal perspective. So, there's... There's two criteria, there's two currencies, and there are two pay scales. Let me wrap it up. Two currencies. There is confederate currency and there's kingdom currency. Confederate currency is is money, it's it's possessions, it's our our time, our treasure, our talent. That's confederate currency. That's no good at the end of the world. Then there's kingdom currency. It's going to be good eternally. We're investing from an eternal perspective. We're thinking about things from an eternal perspective. That's biblical. That's healthy. And lastly, there's two pay scales. This is important. There is no hourly wage paid in heaven. None. I've been a Christian 30 years. So? Well, I I put in 30 years, 24 hours a day times 7, multiply that by 7, whatever, 35 an hour, that's my... Not in heaven. There's there's no hourly gig in heaven. It's all commission. It's all commission. I remember back when I was working construction, uh, my brothers are here. He left Brothers Roofing. Great roofing company. And uh, you, you, can, you, can, you can't miss their trucks. Jeez, old Pete's. These guys are... Anyway, when I first started roofing, I was paid hourly. I was paid five bucks an hour. I thought I was making lots of money. I remember the day when I went from hourly to commission. That was a good day. Because I went from 5 bucks an hour to 10, 15, 20, 25 bucks an hour, 30 bucks an hour, 50 bucks an hour. And then I started figuring out how to use employees and be more productive and then I was making $75 an hour and then 100 bucks an hour and then 200 bucks an hour and then 300 bucks an hour and then 500 bucks an hour. I like commission. Heaven pays on a commission. They don't pay hourly. Heaven pays on commission and heaven pays on percentage. You see, heaven pays for the amount of good that I do. piecework. work. And heaven pays a percentage based on the quality of the work. That's how we get rewarded in heaven. And there will be spiritual rewards, but there's also going to be tangible rewards. Let me wrap it up this way. Paul said that what is our joy or our our treasure. What's our crown of rejoicing when we stand before our Lord Jesus Christ? Is it not even You? You will be our glory and our joy. And so this morning, let's just allow the Holy Spirit... Now, the Holy Spirit never condemns us. That's not the purpose of this message. The purpose is to enlighten us and to convict us to be properly aligned with the purposes of heaven, and live wisely in light of eternity. Holy Spirit, thank You for Your wonderful presence. Thank You for the wonderful grace of God. Thank You for coming alongside every one of us and helping us to live wisely in light of eternity. I just want to call your attention. This is a very practical way that it's just one way that you might want to respond. You, we're going to be sending short-term missionaries to Poland. We're going to be sending them to Ecuador. And maybe you want to team with us and, and use some of your confederate currency to make a difference and, and help underwrite short-term missionary students that are going to teach English in Poland or those that are going to rescue homeless people from a garbage dump and build them a home. That's what the pink envelope is about. And, If you want to partner with us in a a practical, tangible way to do that, invite you to do that. No pressure. But but as we leave this place, let's, let's be thinking. My time, my talent, my treasure. How can I leverage all of them for the glory of God, for the advancement of the kingdom, and for what the Bible tells us clearly will be a great reward for those who do so. Thank You, Father for these realities in the powerful name, Jesus Christ. Let's lift our voices in worship.